There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi. I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honored to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. A car accident in 2018 left Jen Drummond awestruck and emboldened. Rescue workers couldn't imagine any scenario where she came out of it alive. But she did. That's when she realised you don't get to choose when you leave this life, but you sure can choose how you live it. Strengthened by this awareness, she set out to live in a more authentic and adventurous way. Inspired to climb a mountain for her birthday, her son raised the stakes by suggesting Mount Everest. Not one to back down from a challenge, she accepted the pursuit. During her training, her coach upped the ante and proposed that she go for a Guinness World Record and become the first woman to climb the seven second summits. The pursuit matched her desire to live a life of significance, not just success. Today, Jen is a world record holder who elevates others to master their own summit in life. She's a successful business owner and a mum of seven remarkable kids who, as you've heard, boldly inspire and brazenly challenge her. She's also an international speaker, author and host of the Seek Your Summit podcast, who's focused on inspiring others to go beyond success to a life of significance. Jen is an absolute miracle and inspiration whose stories take you on a journey with her resilience, survival, and a living example that we can do hard things. Please enjoy the highs and lows of Jen's story and the lessons on the other side. Welcome, Jen, to The Ethical Evolution. Hey, thank you for having me. Now, uh, I was just saying to you, I'm super excited to be with you today uh, because you have an incredible story and um, I need everyone to hear it. Jen, for those people who don't know who you are, can you please go ahead and tell us who you are and what you do? Yes, 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 yes. So my name is Jen. I'm a mom of seven. Wow. A business owner. I just set a world record in mountaineering. I'm an author, speaker, coach, like all those things, right? The things that we accomplish is how we normally define ourselves. Um, But personality-wise, I'm driven. I'm fun-loving. I love to try new things, right? Experience new. Yeah. Now, um, what many people might not know, Jen, is that you you nearly didn't survive a very horrific car accident, right? Tell us about that. Tell us what happened. Yeah. So in 2018... I was driving home from a nearby town and I was looking at the reservoir on the side of the water, like on the side of the road. And I kept thinking to myself, we're in a statewide drought. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh man, we haven't gotten a lot of snow yet. I wish that reservoir would freeze over or like I'm wondering if we're going to ever get out of this naturally. And then something caught my eye and I got back onto the road and I realized I was coming up really fast onto a semi. And so I'm like, okay, I need to get into the left lane in the U.S. And so I look at my rear view mirror. It's clear. I go to get into the left lane. I don't make it. The trailer of the semi kind of bumps into the lane that I'm going into, hits my passenger side, 
And I start going end over end over end. Now, mind you, while this car is flipping somersaults, I'm inside of it thinking like slow motion, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Like as mm-hmm. fast as it was going outside, I was pretty slow motion inside the car. And I remember saying to myself, okay, I need to roll with the car. I need to relax, keep my hands on the steering wheel, keep my head on the headrest. And I would count. I'm like, oh, I have enough momentum. I'm going to flip again. I have enough momentum. I'm going to flip again. And by the third flip, this car started doing some sideways rolls and then finally came to a stop. I was waiting to get hit by another car because I think Hollywood has trained us that this Mm. is what happens. Mm. But instead, lucky for me, an individual came running to the car, peeled back the windshield and was like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I just remember thinking, looking at his face, I don't think I'm okay. Your facial expressions are giving me like, I don't know. Mm. So I closed my eyes and I wiggled my fingers and toes. And I remember saying out loud, I can feel my fingers and toes. I can feel my fingers and toes. I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, as if we say it twice, it makes it more real (laughs) in those environments. Um, I was taken to the hospital just to confirm I didn't have any injuries. A couple hours later, I was released. I went home. I just remember thinking like, wow, I almost had seven orphans here today. And what just happened? How come I didn't die? All those like questions start coming up in your head. That wow, that was a miracle, absolute miracle. Yes. Um, yeah, that you it even, really was. Yeah, wow. Um, one, lucky you got out of the car at all, and two, went home the same day. Like, come on. <laughs> I know. And like the crazy thing is, is I got a call from the police station a couple weeks after the accident, and they said, "Listen, we could not build a scenario where you lived." let alone walked away. So we don't know why, like, just to let you know, like you're here, being here is a miracle. And the crazy thing too, to highlight up at this point in my life is that a couple weeks after that, one of my good girlfriends went running on a trail Mm -hmm. and it was wet out. She was running. She slipped, hit her head, never came home. No. Yeah. So I was with this, just like, why was I saved in this horrific accident? Why was she doing something healthy and like never got to come home? And when I was wrestling with all of this, I came to the conclusion that I do not get to choose when I die, but I sure get to choose how I live. And the only thing I control is how I live and the choices I make. I need to make sure I start living and doing life as much as I can because it is a gift when it is almost mm. taken from you. All of a sudden, your perspective changes from what will people think or what if I fail or what does this look like or, you know, all that to what happens if this is my last day? Mm. What happens if this is my last year or my last like quarter or decade or whatever that is? And you start realizing like every day we're alive, we're writing our obituary. And there is a lot of things that I still wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really it was really a wake up for, call for you, wasn't it? Like, why? And I, I love what you say, and it really struck me when I, I read it on um, your your bio was you know you don't get to choose when you leave, but you, you you choose to you know do what you do when you're here, and yeah. and to live this life. So really, it's like the universe telling you you're here for a reason, and yeah. you need to stay and make a difference. And yes, making making yes. a difference with every minute you have. And by damn, you have done that, Jen. <laughs> I did. I did. So like for the audience, like this is crazy how this story unfolds because I'm an everyday human that got to do something extraordinary. And it started with, so the accident happened in 2018. Mm. Then 2019, I remember thinking, okay, What's my purpose? Why am I here? I know that I'm here to make a difference and impact other people. What does this look like? How does that even happen? And then 2020 was coming up and it was my 40th birthday in 2020. And so I just remember thinking, you know, I'm going to climb a mountain. I'm going to climb a mountain for my 40th birthday to launch off this next decade and have it be something significant. And I live in the mountains in Utah. Mm -hmm. So like, I asked some friends that were big mountaineers. I said to them, if you could climb one mountain in the whole world, 
anywhere, mm. any mountain, what mountain would you climb? And more than one person said this mountain called Ama de Blom. Mm-hmm. It's located in Nepal. It's the Paramount Pictures logo. The name means mother's necklace. I'm like, okay, like check, 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 check. This is the mountain. I'm going to climb for my 40th birthday. I'm in. And like all of us around the world, we weren't climbing any mountains in 2020. Mm. COVID hit Mm -hmm. and put all of us at home, changing our lives forever. And I became a homeschool teacher to seven children. (laughs) And so one day I'm helping my son with his homework. I'm like, listen, buddy, we do hard things. Like you got this. And he looks at me straight in the face and he goes, mom, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde (laughs) instead of a real mountain like Mount Everest? (laughs) Wow. I'm like, honey, it's (laughs) I'm a dumb not I'm a dumb blonde. Okay. Finish your homework. We'll look at Everest. (laughs) I mean, kids, I mean, what do you do? So he finishes homework. We looked at Everest. He went to bed and I like thought about it more. I'm like, you know what? I don't get to choose when I die, but I sure get to choose how I live. Mm. Like climbing Everest is a big deal, especially when my son thinks it's a big deal. We all have an Everest, metaphorically. Um, if I climb it physically, maybe that means he thinks he can climb whatever comes his way. So by the end of the week, I hired a coach and I was training for Amo de Blom and Mount Everest. Um And then the universe gave me another nudge and my coach told me to read this book about mountaineering. So I buy the book, the book comes in and the front chapter of the book, there's a story about a lady who got a Guinness world record for doing something in the Alps. And it must, you know, like timing is everything in Mm -hmm. life. And I have a phone call with my coach and I'm like, I could have done that. Like, I could have done that. I can suffer. (laughs) And my kids would think I'm cool if I get a Guinness World Record. Like, that's how they learned how to read. And right now, this homeschooling thing, I'm not cool. Like, they don't even (laughs) like me. This is getting overwhelming. And my coach took it as, like, a challenge. He's like, okay, Chad, we'll think of something. I'm like, okay, think of something. But just letting you know, I'm not growing pumpkins or, like, speed eating hot dogs or all the other weird things that people do to get into the Guinness World Records. That's not me. He's like, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. And I, like, left the conversation, like, was going on with life. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, my coach calls, and he's all excited. He's like, Jen, Jen, I've got the perfect record. I'm like, what? Then I kind of remember our conversation. He's like, I think you should be the first woman to climb the seven-second summits. Well, what are like, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what you're talking about. Seven, seven, blah, blah. it sounds like a tongue twister. And he goes, okay, listen, the seven second summits are the second highest point on each continent. Mm-hmm. It's only been done by one male. It's harder than the first seven. You would be the first woman to do it. And let's think about this. Seven continents, seven mountains, seven children. I think we got a <laughs> jackpot. <laughs> And I'm sitting there thinking, it does sound like a jackpot. I agree. And I talked to my kids about it. We looked up where all the mountains were. I did kind of want an excuse to travel the world. And yeah, it would be a pretty big impact if I was the first woman to do something. Um, So I said, yes. Like, and mind you, I'd never slept in a tent before overnight. So like, this was a big stretch. Yes. But my thought was, okay, if I fail, don't worry, it's never been done. Like, who cares? Like, this would really be living. I'd get to explore. I'd get to experience. I'd get to figure it out. And the cool thing about having this conversation today is that on June 1st of 2023, I summited the last mountain. That was just a couple months ago, Jen. Just a couple months ago. Congratulations. Yes. And and I checked out um, all of the summits that you, you did climb um, around the world and the training ones that you did. And I love that Everest was a training one, by the way. I know. It was. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I had to do Everest because I promised my son. And believe it or not, Everest is a lot easier than K2. So it's a good mountain to practice because there's only – 14 8,000 meter peaks in the world. Um, And K2 and Everest are two of those 14. 
And so I could test out gear, see how my body did, understand what it's like climbing a fort or, you know, an 8,000 meter peak. Um, so then I went to K2, I was better prepared. Yeah, well, I guess that's one way to look at it, but just for the average Joe like us, <laughs> Everest a training ground. But, you know, it, it makes me curious in terms of Everest because, you know, anybody who's having a eat, pray, love moment in life or, you know, they just want to do something epic, Everest is their thing, right? Like they want to climb Everest. I've never been there. Are there a lot of people trying to do the same thing? There are a lot of people trying to climb Everest. Mm. Um, I will say it's been, it's been commercialized. Yeah, it's way more popular than what you think because it's a global attraction. So you have people from all over the world climbing. Um, Aussies and Americans are like minor, like in the population that goes to climb, and because it's been commercialized, it's so much safer than it's ever been. Like if you climbed Everest back in the eighties or you climbed Everest like way back in the day, Mm. I mean, hats off to you. That has to be one of the hardest climbs in the entire world. Mm. But nowadays they have, you buy a permit. Nepal has teams that run sections of the mountain. So the very scary part of Everest is called the Kumbu Icefall. That's what we hear about when we hear tragedies typically, because that icefall can move three to six feet a day. Wow. Yeah. And so what happens is, is there's this team of Sherpa called the icefall doctors and they go in that section and they set up ladders and they set up ropes and they climb through it in the morning. And then as a climber, you're allowed to go up after them. And then in the evening, the icefall doctors go back through it again and they'll climb back down and they're checking that route two times a day and making adjustments every single time. Wow. So me as a climber, I don't have to decide what direction to go, what route to take. If this, like what happens if the ladder falls into the crevasse? Like how do we fix that? There's other people that take care of that for you and you're just following the ropes. Mm. So it's you come know, a long you didn't way. have somebody setting those ropes. I mean, I was in the ice fall four times total mm-hmm. because I'd go, you acclimatize. So you go up to a certain point and you come back to base camp. And then when we went up to go for the summit push, we had to go through that section again. Every time it was a different route. Yeah. That's how much it changed. And so if every time I went on the mountain, I had to find a different way to navigate through that maze. That'd be a whole different mental load, a whole different physical load, a whole different everything. But because they've like commercialized that so much, it's way easier for individuals like me mm-hmm. to have a summit of Mount Everest. Yeah. Amazing. And looking yeah. at all the summits that you've climbed, um, yeah. which is your favorite? It's like asking who's my favorite kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like there's different reasons to like different ones, for sure. I would say... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Maybe it's... Maybe it's the memory of um, K2, mm-hmm. right? Like, K2 is pretty spectacular. One, because it has this stigma around it. Like, it, when I went to climb K2... 25% of the people that went to climb it died on the way down. Wow. Like, so you have a 25% um, risk of passing away while climbing, which was scary. Um, K2 just has the, like women, it's known as the woman eater. Like I think the first two, 22 women that summited, nine of them died. Wow. So that's just crazy odds, right? Now it's just bizarre that that happened that way. Um, when I went to K2, it's very much like Everest. So you do have a lot of support. You have teams that are helping set the ropes, um, not checking them as frequently, but definitely helping establish the mountain. When you climb K2, somebody else is setting up your tent. Somebody else is melting your water so that you can rehydrate food. 
Um, somebody else is making decisions on when it's time to go up or turn around or do whatever. I mean, you can have input, but it's not on your shoulders as much as my other climbs were. Um, so it was like being able to climb a huge mountain with a scary reputation and overcome it, mm. which is more or less like overcoming your own mental limits. And we all have limits that we keep between our ears that keep us from doing a lot of things in our lives. And K2 was one of those where it says, okay, there's other truths available. There's other options to me. I failed K2 the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a teammate on my team die in an avalanche. Oh my God, I had I'm another sorry. teammate lose a hand to frostbite. And when I was on the mountain, these things happened. And I had a choice to go up with another team and summit or turn around and come back down. And I made the decision to come back down. Like the mountain is always there. Mm-hmm. Who you are is important, is more important than what you achieve. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be there for my team. So I came back down frustrated, of course, yeah. like sad that all these things happened. When you hike out of K2 base camp, it's a 70 mile trek wow. to get to a car, which is then a 36 hour drive to get to the airport. It's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you were in the middle of nowhere (laughs) and it's in Pakistan. So Pakistan, while like making progress, is not Australia or the United States. Mm -hmm. Like there is not the same rights for females as we have privilege to. Um, There's just not the same resources or the depth of wealth. And you, I mean, it's just a different experience entirely. So I remember coming down and... It was time to hike out. And there was like all of a sudden these areas that we could hike in on were more dangerous when we were hiking out because the monsoon season was coming in. Yeah. Like for those of us that aren't climbers, mountains have windows of opportunity to climb them. Mm. So you always climb Everest in May. You always climb K2 in July. You always climb like Mount Tyree in Antarctica in January. I mean, that's just the windows that make it the safest to climb. And so the season in in Pakistan ends because the sun comes out, it starts melting the snow, the snow starts causing raging rivers to happen. And you'll see like last the last couple of years in the news around this time, you see like roads being washed out and flooding happening and all the problems that go with that. Well, we were crossing two rivers, which it's freezing cold water mm. because it's snow melt mm. and like debris being pushed down because the water doesn't normally flow there. So it doesn't have like this solid riverbed. When we came to the third river, I mean, it was a full blown river at this point. And they're like, well, we can't cross right now. And I'm like, well, why can't we? They're like, well, that's too strong of a current. We have to wait till it's four in the morning because then it's been cold enough for the sun to not be melting snow. So then the current is not as strong. Mm. I'm like, okay, (laughs) well, why did we go at four in the morning? Because at two in the morning and three in the morning, they sent across a livestock with a rope to go to the other side and it didn't make it. It got washed down the river. And I'm sitting there thinking like, we have got to have a better way to make this work. (laughs) Like this is insanity, but that's like their reality. So at four in the morning, finally, an animal makes it across. And then 20, 20 Pakistani males line up elbow to elbow, making a human bridge in this freezing water up to their chest. They pass our gear overhead to get across to the other side. And then me as a tourist pays five US dollars. Okay. Five US dollars buys me a soda and a donut at the gas station at home. Mm. Over in Pakistan, it buys me five US dollars. I start going hand over hand to like cross these people. I get to the other side. I want to cry. My fingers won't work. I can't unzip my backpack to put dry clothes on because they're so numb. My feet are cut up from the debris in the river, but I don't even feel them because they're so numb. And then I look back and I see how many people risk their life. For me, a person they'll never see again right? A person that gets to go home to a refrigerator that keeps Mm. food cold, Wi-Fi that allows me to connect with the world and a vehicle and roads that I can travel to on any time I want, right? And it was just just such a bizarre situation to be in and feeling to have and to like just witness. So I get back to the US and I come home and I get home a couple of days before my kids do from camp and my kids get home from camp and they're like, hey mom, did you summit? Did you summit? I said, no, I didn't. 
but I had success. And they looked at me all puzzled. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, I didn't sum up the mountain, but I showed up as a person I'm proud of. Mm. And it's really important for us to be proud of the decisions we make because that's where confidence comes from. And I had a choice to continue and I decided not to. And that's okay. Mm. And I'll be honest with you, like I could say that, but I was still like, there's a tinge of you that's bummed, right? There's a tinge of you that's, man, I got to go back. Mm. When you go the first time, you don't know what you're getting into. Like everything's like new and you just take it because that's what the only option is. When you go back, you're like, oh man, I have to deal with this again. And how do I make it safer? And what does this look like? And the average person, it takes them three times to climb K2. Is that going to be my story? And well, how does this, you know, like just all the things. And it was time to go back and I was not excited about going back at all. And then I got a phone call from somebody and they said, hey, there's a Pakistani female that's been training that wants to climb this mountain. Mm. She doesn't have the resources or the gear. Is there something you could help with? And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'll bring over stuff and help out. So I bring over some gear and 2022 was an amazing year because I got to stand on top of that mountain and wave my flag. And then 30 minutes after I stood on top of that mountain, the first Pakistani female stood on top of her country's prized peak. And I just remember thinking, I got to be a part of that. Like I failed that first time so that more could be made possible. And now there's little girls all over this whole world that look just like this lady and can see themselves in this environment. And that's important. That's really important. That's amazing. And I share this story because, you know what, we all have failures and obstacles and setbacks. And maybe you're dealing with one of those right now, but maybe your climb's not over. Mm. Maybe there's more to your story. So continue and give it a few more years or a few more tries or a few more efforts and look back and see what unfolded because you tried and you continued. As uh, Nemo says, you just got to keep swimming, don't you, you know? Yes, yes, Dory. Believe me, you have no idea how many times I use that statement. Like, just keep climbing, just keep climbing. We're okay, we're okay. And uh, look, Jen, there's so many questions I could ask you just from what you've told me. Um, One of the things that um, I wondered when I was reading uh, your summit notes and you kept a diary and a journal of, of what you went through and the struggles and all that kind of stuff, And I wonder when you're doing a particular summit and you were saying, you know, you opted to to get out in in that particular instance, um, is there an energy of the mountain that you feel that you go, you know what, not today? Yeah. Yes. I know this is going to sound so woo-woo. Yeah. And for your female (laughs) listeners, I think – we maybe are naturally more attuned to Mother Earth because I feel Mother Earth is Mother Earth, like feminine. Mm. Um, it's very interesting. I feel mountains have different energies. Mm. So, for example, Mount Everest is very feminine. She's majestic. She's large. She doesn't apologize for who she is. The weather happens, but she stays strong, and that's who she is. Mm. When you climb in Pakistan... These mountains are sharp and angry and rigid and just a different vibe to them all. Like very masculine energy. Um, And I remember like anytime I go to the mountain, I make it a point to be very quiet and to meditate and just try to connect to the energy that's there and be like, okay, mother nature always wins, like always. So is this a time that you want us to continue and to experience this mountain or is this a time to go home? And I've gone home twice. Mm -hmm. I've done two mountains twice because it's just not, I'm not, I'm not going to gamble. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to like mother nature wins. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other is, you know, thinking of like K2 or any of the summits that you've done, Mm -hmm. was there a point where you went, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Oh my goodness. Every mountain a thousand times. <laughs> like, like, here's what happens, mm. right? Because you're on these mountains and you're away from all your comforts, right? I don't have a bed. I don't get to walk into a toilet. I don't get to eat by comfort food. Like you're away from all your creature comforts. 
and you're in the middle of nowhere and you paid to be here. Mm. Okay. It's not like it's free. <laughs> and so you're saying thinking, like all my friends that are on spring break right now at the beach, drinking martinis, like, what am I doing? Like, why am I even here? <laughs> like I'm like crazy. So there's every mountain you have these doubts. And I think that's for all of us when we're climbing our metaphorical mountains, mm. maybe I'm doing physical ones, but you have doubts all the time. And there's a million things that you would rather be doing. Right. Like I would rather be eating ice cream at home with my kids or whatever, but who we become and like the mountains change us. Our pursuits modify who we are. They like form us. We're like these rough rocks. And also we get these smooth edges when we're done and we learn our limits and we learn what we're capable of. And we carry that confidence into everything we do. And when it comes hard, we know like I'm hard too. Like I'm going to come back from this. So when you had those really hard moments where you could have been on the verge of quitting, yeah, did that car accident remind you that if you could get through that, you can do this? It did. It mm. did. And like a, a couple other things too. So um, one thing that some people don't know about me is I had a tr- hard time getting pregnant mm. and I wanted to be a mom. And I just remember being so devastated that the one thing that we're born naturally able to do, my body didn't do. Mm. And I'm like, how am I broken as a woman? Like, how is this even possible? And I sought fertility assistance and we tried a million different combos. And like the problem with fertility assistance is every month you're reminded of a failure. Yeah, Like every month you're like, oh, it didn't work. Oh, it didn't work. Oh, it didn't work. And then finally we came up with a chemical cocktail that turned me into a hen. Like I literally <laughs> all of a sudden had endless eggs. Like, oh my goodness, we had something to work with. And those eggs became embryos and those embryos became seven children. Like abundance came, but it was a long tunnel mm. of dark and upset and whatever else. And I keep like, anytime I'm in a hard spot, I just remember like, there's going to be a lot of failures before that abundance hits. But I know that abundance is available to me because it's been given to me before. Mm. And I just keep those kind of stories on speed dial. And for those of you that are listening, like think of what stories you keep on speed dial. Mm. So when something goes wrong or something isn't serving you, do you have a story that's getting you out of victim or do you have a story that's confirming your victim mentality at the moment? And those stories matter. Yeah. What we tell ourselves. Absolutely. And it's something that I talk about so much on this show is the stories that we tell ourselves. They can either make us or break us, can't they? Yeah, they can. And like, here's another secret. Like I wrote a book. It comes out in January. It is called Quit Proof. Mm-hmm. You cannot write a book called Quit Proof and Quit. Like it is <laughs> not allowed. And so even though I wanted to quit a thousand times, I'm like, that silly little book. No wonder why I named it Quit Proof because now I can't quit. I took that Emma. option off the table and we need to figure out how to get through X, Y, or Z that's in front of me. <laughs> um, the book looks amazing too. Um, you can pre-order it now, can't you, Jen? Yes, you can. And please pre-order. Um because if a whole bunch of orders come out of Australia, then I get to come to Australia and yeah. do a book tour, awesome. which would be so amazing. So order, order, order. Um, and we get like freebies if you pre-order. But yeah, one of my mountains was in Australia. Right? Yes, in New South Wales. Yes. Uh, yes. Mount Townsend. Yeah. Mount Townsend. Yes. And you guys, this is like, this is life. This is what life does to you. Mount Townsend was supposed to be my easiest mountain. Mm-hmm. Okay. I live at the same altitude that Mount Townsend is. Right. So altitude wasn't going to be an issue. Yep. And I like flew over to Australia. I came at the end of November 2022. And I'm like, I'm just going to prance up that mountain and come back down and we're going to be good. Well, you had a winter that didn't give up. Okay. <laughs> so this like happy little skipping, jumping hike was supposed to have no snow. It had endless snow, like endless snow. And this is the problem at this time of year. If you've been in the snow in your country or any country, and it's warm out because it's starting to melt, that top layer gets icy Mm. because the sun like crystallizes it. And then it starts baking the snow underneath. So the snow underneath kind of like gets into an oven and it starts rotting and melting and whatever. The last mile to the top of this mountain, I was post-holing 
to my thighs, which means oh every God. single step went all the way down to my thigh. <laughs> and then I had to like keep my, I had to spread my toes out wide so that when I lifted my foot out, my shoe didn't get lost oh in the God. snow. And I brought a camera guy. Oh my God, I love this human. I convinced this camera guy. I'm like, listen, I want you to come with me. He was like super reasonably priced. I thought at one point I might do a documentary. And he was a water photographer, but he had hiked before. So he's like, I'll do it. It's fine. We're like five steps into this. He's like, we're not going to continue, are we? Like, we're going back down. We'll come back another day. I'm like, honey, I live in the United States of America. We are continuing no matter how hard this gets. It's only one day out of our lives. And he's like, now I know why you're the person climbing these seven second summits. <laughs> but it was like, and it was so funny because when we were hiking up, you know, if any of you in Australia have been to this hike, you do Kosciuszko first. And so that has this nice trail. It has like this wooden deck that you kind of walk the whole thing on. There were some workers that were fixing this beautiful deck thing. They heard me talking. So they knew I was American, not an Aussie. And so they're like, they're like, okay, Utah, that's where I'm from. <laughs> go have fun. We'll see you in a few hours. I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't tell them that I was going to go do Townsend on top of Kosciuszko because I didn't want them to maybe say no, that we weren't allowed to. I have no idea. <laughs> so I went and did this. I came back and we're like soaking wet because like the snow melts on your body. Mm. It's like disgusting. We come finally back to this point. Those guys are about done working. They're like, Utah. We thought we had to send like support crew for you. What happened? Like, we're fine. I'm like, don't ask. They're like, no, no, like, you tell what happened. I'm like, well, we went to Mount Townsend. Well, why would you do that? <laughs> no one goes to that mountain. It's in the middle of nowhere. And there's a ton of snow. I'm like, we know. We know. We know. We had to do it because it's part of this record I'm trying to set. Thank you for rubbing it in. <laughs> so. I'm glad we got to give you a bit of bit of a nudge there. That's funny. Yes, you did. You reminded me that, hey, listen, don't take anything for granted. It all counts. So. Now, Jen, out of all of the summits and really anything that you've been through, What's been your scariest moment? Oh, this year, this year on the mountain, for sure. You know, it's funny, this car accident, I wasn't really scared in. Like I almost got a download immediately that I wasn't going to die. Mm. I, I don't know. I wasn't, it happened so fast. I didn't have a chance to be scared. Um, when we were on Mount Logan this year. So Mount Logan's located in Canada. It's the second highest point in North America. Um, it is a hard mountain because you're dropped off by an airplane and there's no support. There's no trail, right? You're on this huge glacier. And so you're using your Garmin device to navigate and you have to carry all your stuff in. So it's all on a sled or it's on a backpack. And it's so windy on this glacier that when you set up your tent, you have to build an ice like igloo wall. Mm -hmm so that the wind is blocked by that wall and it doesn't rip your tent open. Mm. Okay. So, and it takes a couple of weeks to climb this mountain because it's so big and you can only go so far because you're acclimatizing and all this thing. Well, there's five camps and then the summit. We are making amazing timing, like record timing. We're like, we're going to set the record for how fast you can climb this mountain. Arrogance that gets you all the time. Right. So we're like, okay, we're going to go up to camp three. Then we're going to go to camp four. We're going to summit from camp four because we think camp five is not necessary based on what we can read on these maps. Then we're going to come back down. So we kind of thought it would take us three days and we brought seven days worth of food. Mm -hmm. So just to be safe. So we bring our tent and we get up to camp three. We set up our ice wall. We set up the tent. We get in it. And what we didn't really factor in is when you're on these big glaciers, you need sun to be able to see where you're going. Otherwise, you have this like hazy fog. You can get locked around in circles really fast. Mm. Like you lose vertigo and you just kind of lose where you are. And you don't want to do that on a mountain, especially one that's a glacier. Because mm. when you do, when you're on a glacier, that means like underneath you could be a crevasse at any point. So what happens is, is you ski with like skin. So you're going up the hill with ski and you have a ski pole and you poke to the left of you, the center of you and the right of you. And if that pole bounces back up, you know that the ground's hard enough. You're not going to sink in mm -hmm. and you have to do that for every step. 
Wow. And then every like 25 steps, you put in a bamboo stick so that you remember, okay, this is a safe path. This is what we do because mother nature etch a sketch does that mountain every day. Yeah. So your path is wiped out the next morning. So then when you're skiing down the mountain or like making a different movement, you want to be able to like just follow those poles so you don't have to test the ground all again. Mm. Because it literally can be, I mean, I've had it happen on Everest where someone unclicked from the rope, took five steps to the left and passed away <sighs> to take a pee because they didn't, they got off the rope. And there is a crevasse there. Wow. So like there, like you just don't know. There's no tested ground. You have no way of telling. So you have to be very safe. So we get up to this camp three. We build this ice wall. There's fog. So we can't continue up. So we sleep in the um, the tent another day. There's fog again. So we're stuck again. And then a storm comes in. And it is a storm. Normally on mountains, you either get snow or wind. It's very rare that you get both. We got both. Mm. And by meaning we got both, like, it snowed so much snow that, and the wind like wall that we built was starting to collect the snow because mm-hmm. it wasn't able to like move out of the way that in the middle of the night, we had to dig ourselves. Like you unzip the tent and it was full of snow. You had to dig yourself out of the tent. So we got <sighs> ourselves out of the tent, moved all the snow away, had the tent up. Well, it is this terrible wind and the wind is catching this, the fabric of the tent and it's pulling it taut, like snapping it tight mm. every 14, 33, 57 seconds. Like there was no rhythm to it. So you couldn't numb it out, right? Mm. It just kept going. And if that tent ripped, we were dead mm. because that was the only thing protecting us from the environment. And so for 14 hours, we sat in this tent with all of our gear on because if the tent ripped, we had to be ready to go. With like, what are we going to do? No one's going to be able to rescue us. We're in the middle of nowhere. And we had to dig ourselves out three different times. And because you're sitting in that environment and there's nothing you can do, it is really hard to keep your mind in check. Mm. Right? So then that fear builds and then that story's written and you're like, oh my goodness and blah, 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 blah. Um, So that's probably the scariest moment I've ever had on the mountain And the crazy thing is like, so finally the storm blows away. Finally, the weather like gets a little bit nicer. It's like we had been there for six days in a tent. The weather finally got better and we only had one day left of food. So the sun came out at like five o'clock at night. We're so far north that you don't even need headlights at this time of year. And it only gets dark for like maybe two to four in the morning, but it's still light enough to see, but it's not that light, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So it was five o'clock at night. It got sunny. We're like, we need to go down. Like we have good weather. We don't know when we're going to get again. We need to go back to camp two, grab more food, bring it up to camp three, and then see what happens from there. We went down to camp two. We grabbed food. We came back up. We got up to our tents around like two in the morning. It was super cold that night. And at four in the morning, there was only three of us on the team because three people can sleep in a one-man tent and still eat in that tent. Mm -hmm. So then you're not setting up two tents and two igloos and two everything. Um, One of my friends got frostbite. So then when we were supposed to move the next day, we couldn't. We called the parks um, ranger system. They couldn't come because the weather was too dangerous. And so we had to sit with our friend and just try to keep them comfortable for a day. And then the next day, the rangers came and they had to long line them off the mountain. So that's they drop a rope and the helicopter can't land because the helicopter won't be able to get up again. Mm. And then they strap you to that rope and they lift you off the mountain and they bring you to a lower place where it's safe to put you inside the helicopter and then bring you to the hospital. Oh my gosh. Uh, that, I know, that's crazy. Could've... Like I have stories, like endless stories. That's why you buy the book, you're going to hear all these crazy stories. And I promise you there's good lessons from all of them that you apply to your life. That could have <laughs> yeah. turned um, deadly. At any moment, it like so deadly, yes, so and quickly. Thank God, like this is you know the universe mm. helps. Like the universe is amazing when you think about it. My friend that had frostbite, nine out of ten fingers, I think four out of ten toes. He got to the hospital and they had this special medication that helps with frostbite. And it's been like a medication that's hard to get around the world. Mm-hmm. If you got frostbite in the United States, you get one day of the medicine because they want to keep it for other people. Yeah. We were in such a remote part of Canada. He got five days of the medicine. Wow. 
and no permanent damage. Like it has all of his fingers, has all of his toes. Like he might have a little bit of feeling difference, mm. but nothing visually different or anything like that. And it's just like, wow. Again, another so miracle. <laughs> I know. I know. Hang out with me. You'll be by miracles. Yeah. I promise. <laughs> yeah. I think you're the miracle maker, Jen. I mean, yes. just, just hearing that story, um, my mind was thinking you must have to have an incredible amount of energy physically to to just do what you did because in that situation you'd be flat out getting a decent night's sleep like and sleep you know and recovery to get through the next day would be critical yeah. in, in getting anywhere so yeah. how did you do it yeah you know I mean we did have we did have a storm for a few days before that crazy event so you're kind of bored and you're sleeping like your body doesn't even want to sleep anymore. But it was almost like the universe was saying, you guys are going to need this rest. So we're going to let yeah. you accumulate it for yep. a few days. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was definitely and then adrenaline runs. Mm. Like I had an adrenaline rush for you know, when I summited. Right. And then, yeah, that adrenaline rush for about a week. And then all of a sudden you come down. And you're like, I, I swear to God, I came back to the United States and I slept for a week. Like I was so <laughs> tired. And I'm like, I didn't think it makes sense. But I mean, it's not just the physical, it's the mental and emotional aspect of it all that you just need to detox and metabolize a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Well, I could imagine when you're in those kind of situations, the last thing you'd want to do was sleep. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're like, just let us get through this. Now, one of the things I love that you say, Jen, um, about success and, and having success, um, it's about taking it to the next level and making it significant. Um, so you can have a successful life or you can have a significant life which I love, you know, like everyone's about success and what does that mean to you and all that kind of thing. But what is the impact that you make? Um, what is the legacy that you leave? How do you, you do coaching as well with people. Um, yeah. What kind of transformations do you help people make in their lives? Yeah, you know, I get the opportunity to work with a lot of type A uber successful people and I'm going to let you know they're not any happier than you or I. Yeah. You know, like the, just because you have this uber success does not equal happiness. Mm. And so it's really like, I take them out of the environment. Like we get, we go out on hikes, we get out into the wilderness and just turn off the volume of the world yeah. and get back to who they are as individuals and the magic that they bring. And we really get them connected to that piece of themselves that's been overshadowed by accomplishments because we're not our accomplishments. Mm. We really aren't. I mean, we accomplish things to move society forward, but we're so much more than that accomplishment. And I help people reconnect to just the magnificence that they are and what they make possible and just say, like, okay, you've had success. This isn't, you're not happy. So how do we do significance? And significance means different things to different people, but more often than not, it's, elevating the next generation it's mm. it's passing on our skills it's seeing something that we said resonate that gives somebody else the aha moment to step into their power and become the best version of themselves and just so rewarding like there's a person that I've worked with that really got involved in period property mm -hmm. and just making um, period products available for people so that it's easier for them to stay in school and deal with all the different things. And like the impact on the women, mm. it's, you can't even measure it. Right. And that all of a sudden they don't care about their success anymore. They care about the, the impact that they're making in the world. Yeah. And I think that for me personally, you know, making an impact, gives me greater happiness than any money would. I can tell you that. Oh, that yeah. was a, like, why do you have kids? Like watching your kids figure it out is mm. so much cooler than you figuring it out yourself. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> it, I mean, it's just amazing to watch their little heads work or what's going on. Um, just amazing. Like, like thinking about like the magic of being human, mm. like, it's pretty freaking cool when you think about like what we get to do, how we get to interact with each other. I mean, you and I are across the world from each other and we're friends now like mm. you're my friend yeah you know I mean that's simple <laughs> yeah and oh Jen I think everyone needs to find out about you and uh oh. what you've done and your story um if they want to find out more and connect with you where can they go 
please, 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 please. So jendrummond.com. And I do Jen with two N's, um, J-E-N-N-D-R-U-M-M-O-N-D. And that's my home base. So if you have certain social channels you like, you'll be able to find them from there. I do some challenges, some coaching, the book, all that fun stuff. Everything links there. And reach out, like say hello. I love cheering people on. I love hearing what you're up to. I am just so grateful to be here. And thank you for letting me share my story. Uh, I couldn't think of a better thing to do today. Absolutely, Jen. Um, Now for the last big question, what's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Hey, friends, I want you to wake up and evaluate your day and say, this is a choice. Mm. This is a choice I'm making. And you have a choice to look at things with a different perspective. You have a choice to do things differently. You have a choice to just change one thing that makes you happier. Like the things that make you happy are there for a reason. And I'm just asking you to do whatever that is and have the courage to step into that. Because if we all own our happy, imagine what the world's going to look like. Oh, I love that. Own your happy. Yes. yes. Um, and that, that is something else that you uh, talk about is is owning who you are. Um, people just try to blame everyone else and, you know, look at everything bad in the world instead of choosing happiness. It is a choice. We can choose to be happy today. Yeah. And a lot of time our pain is our purpose. Mm. When you're really angry about something or really upset about something, that's when you're going to make a change. Mm. And so like, if you're really bothered about something, what can you do that turns that pain into purpose? Yeah. That's your ultimate reframe moment there is just like, well, what do I do with this now? You know, like this is here for a reason. What do I do with it? And some of us do bigger things than others like you, Jen, but. But it uh, all matters. It, it all adds up. We all, we have, all have to wave our flag and do our little work in our corners of the world. We all have our proverbial mountain, don't we? Yes, we do. Jen, I have loved every second with you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Ethical Evolution. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.